Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. Hey everybody, we are live in the Asia Tech Podcast studio. My name is Graham Brown, joined by Pavel Boloski, the co-founder at Melo. Welcome. Thank you, Graham. Really good to be here. It's great to have you. And she loves data, of course. Right? Yes. So, um, all the way from, well, I know you're living here in Singapore, but originally from Czech Republic. Mm -hmm, that's right. Just north of Prague. Yep. I've actually, I actually live in Sydney right now. I've been based out of okay. Sydney in Australia last, last six months. Yeah. Uh, but my company and my team, majority of it is based in Singapore. Yeah. Right. So you live in Sydney, your team's in Singapore, you're from just north of Prague. Yeah. And our second half of our team is in Czech Republic as well. So obviously well, the, the tech talent there. So it's Excellent. It's a long there. story. Yeah. Um, let's, we want to talk about Melo. We want to talk about, you know, the, the space that you're in, the problem that you're solving and, you know, how you're sort of going about that that problem, how you're solving it. Talk a bit about your team, your journey, and so on. Um, I want to start at the beginning, at the end, if that makes sense, because I, I know on your pitch deck, if we can get the pitch deck up, I'm not going to go through the whole pitch deck, I'm going to pull mm. out some key points that if we jump into the pitch deck, Barrett, can we go right to the end of the pitch deck? Because here we have it, slide 30 something. And if you're listening and you don't see this, let me explain. Meilo means labyrinth or maze in Japanese. That's right. I lived in Japan. So when somebody said, oh, these guys, Melo or Meiro, were coming in, like, I thought, hang on a second, what, what does that mean? And I looked it up and thought, oh, that's really interesting. So how does that all sort of come together? Mm. Yeah, look, so obviously picking a name can be one of the trickiest names for business today, right? Because all the good ones are, are you know, all the fruits and, and everything else is, is taken. So this is, this is really difficult. So we're typically looking for .com domain and, you know, five-letter word that's easy to spell in any language, anyone can pronounce it. So there's not that many left and we kind of played with sort of the values we have and what we try to represent. And one of the key things we always say, none of us is Japanese, so we have nothing to do with the culture as the first direct link, but we really are, I suppose, fans of the minimalistic design mm. and the, you know, the, the culture to approach to management in terms of, you know, lean, clean solutions. We really like that. And the word maze is just something that is a perfect analogy to the sort of space of data and where companies are with it today. It's just, they are just lost for the most part. So mm. yeah, we see that as a really nice, really nice analogy. And we kind of, you know, uh, tested it with uh, 20 of my international friends who try to pronounce it for me on camera so right. I make sure <laughs> it doesn't mean any any you know rude words in, in any language yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. that's cool so you're, you're I mean we'll dive into Melo how, how do you say Melo because I, I say it Melo you can pronounce it in yeah. Japanese okay, so Melo yeah. um, um, we'll dive into that look a bit deeper into the solution and mm -hmm. the tech behind it. So so I understand it with the context of maze and labyrinth is that you're almost like a way out. You're helping people navigate, yeah. which is a very complicated space, which is data. Mm -hmm. And particularly in the marketing space, understanding customers, mm -hmm. consumer analytics and so on. It really is a maze. Yeah. It, you know, it's crazy world out there and it's getting worse for people who are dealing with the data. There's silos, there's organizational structures, and every day there's a new platform being added to the mix, right? So it's not just like Facebook back in the day. Mm -hmm. There's something else now. You know, we've got TikTok now. We've got all different kinds of platforms being thrown in, and you're having to measure every single you know, interaction with consumers and profiles and so on. So we set the scene. Let's have a look at what the problem and the solution is. Mm -hmm. If we can get back into the pitch deck, Pavel, so if we can have a look. Um, the problem itself, I wanted to start on this slide number three, if we can sort of get this one up. So if you're listening, it says on here from channel to customer centric models, and you've got a whole bunch of data. Yeah. Pavel, can you help us understand what this is? Yeah, look, the left side, the left hand side is really what we see uh, kind of the practice being today. And what, what that means is that you are looking at, uh, if you are looking at reporting and analytics in a business, you're typically looking at it vertically through channels, like through, you are looking at, you know, how is my website doing? How many visitors am I having? Mm. You're looking at it from that entity perspective. And we are, I suppose, taking different slides where we are saying, if you want to treat your customers as individuals, you need to understand their journey as they go through it, right? So, so rather customer centric approach really means looking at a person rather than a channel. Mm. Right? So a channel would be like we have here. Website, Mail mailchimp program, right. uh, email tool, absolutely. Like right. you're looking at what, what's my conversion rate on website, what's my open rate on my emails, right? Mm. And you have kind of these individual functions in business that are trying to optimize for that, but no one for no one is optimizing for the bigger picture. And, you know, so the, the, the silo problem that's been something that's a, you know, when we play a buzzword bingo, like that's just one of the things that is coming up absolutely 
constantly yeah. you see the my my biggest uh, sort of internal joke is really when I see the traditional software companies not to name any names like going up on stage and saying oh you know we are now saving the marketers from everything being in asylum like well you've been around for 30 years yeah. you kind of created <laughs> you it, you know? it right? so, exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> so but no but it, you know to be to be serious like that problem is absolutely real and we right. really realize it okay um but what is the problem itself I and mean, why is the channel centric model a problem why is it i mean because i can like, on my dashboard look at all the data mm. and i can improve it i can tweak it yeah. i can split test it what's the, wrong with that the, the problem is um the problem is the mm, the single view of customers right one of one of my one of our sort of advisors and friends put it put it really really well for us works uh, at a uh, regional telco and he said look we do have a single view of customer in the in the business. Mm. The problem is we have too many of them, and that's precisely it. like you are not right. you know there consolidating you all of these single touch points into one entity, and the that's obviously so. So that's kind of where we are getting into into product we are building, which is customer data platform. Mm. And the issue with if you look at the kind of the vendor uh, the vendor landscape in in marketing technology today, there's over eight thousand uh, vendors, and like it's it, the map is is uh, is irredible at this mm. point for last few years, right? Mm. It's so, it's also, yeah, absolutely. So it's getting just bigger and bigger. So that's that's mm. that's to sort of the what sets the scene for this problem. Okay, let's go back then. So we've we've set the scene. We've had a look at the problem. We're in the world of channel centric models, which is basically you know where we measure data according to the channel which we touch the customer with, whether it's Mailchimp or whether it's you know the online website traffic, Google Analytics, and so on. And yet what you're saying is that if we can move to a customer-centric model, it would be, okay, so we have this customer, Pavel Boloski, and this is his journey and how he sort of interacts with every single touch point in the business. Is that sort of where... Precisely, yeah. But how do you do that when you have like 9 million customers? So that's actually, if you look at if you look at data management, that's that's a scale that's not really a problem. Mm. Uh, what What is problem is a, is a volume of events. So we've got um, we've got a couple of use cases as customers where, where we're really looking at, you know, it goes into millions of, of, of events and of customers and, and uh, you know, double digits of that of, of events. And that's really not a problem like today right. the computational power that you have in in uh, sort of the the modern hardware providers and the technology the computing is really not a problem what's problem is to sort of the the applying a logic into it and some sort of consolidation of it which is mm. really difficult mm. so you know how do you organize like if data is coming from you know 10 different places that are critical how do you organize them how do you synchronize them how do you how do you deal with uh with a with a resolution of an of an identity mm. like you are talking about actual customers so this data cannot be so or this approach cannot be probabilistic you have to be you have to be precise when you're talking about customer and bringing in their transaction into the mm. into the equation right mm. but the, obviously the, the the real need there is to kind of have a holistic view of a customer uh, give you an example so what we talk about when when we when we work with or talk to talk to larger enterprises we obviously this is a problem we are we are solving first for large enterprise because that's that's uh, the complexity there is, is a lot mm. higher um, and these problems are a lot more valuable obviously uh, one of the things that we kind of how we describe it is like when you look at how you've been you you know you you know you have a house that you know that that, that house has some rooms and those rooms are full of people what you don't know is who is in which room because your lights is off. Mm. What, the only thing we do as a business, when we talk about ourselves being in a data availability business, really, is we come in and we turn the lights on. Mm. And you know that's obviously there is a an underlying a fair amount of data engineering expertise that's been built into a product. How do we connect all of these? How do we make sure um, you know it makes sense that this person is this person here, this person is that person there, mm. and how do we bring it all together? That's mm. that's really uh, that's really sort of the core value of that of that product. So is the goal of that to produce, you know, like a, I know we're going to go into the personas part, mm -hmm. but is that the sort of deliverable for all this to say, hey, look, this is Pavel, this is who he is, how he sort of interacts with your platforms in different ways? Yeah. Is that kind of what the deliverable is that now, until now, you can only sort of really do through focus groups or yeah. sort of questionnaires? Yeah, look, the yeah, that's absolutely right. So, so that, that, the, the goal there is to have uh, your customers uh, identified on as many 
as many touch points mm. as possible and be be aware of or their every single interaction. So one of a one of the practical use cases we have for this is that we are working on um say say use case which might be company that's um, similar to Spotify, right? So it's a freemium mm. business and app based. And what they are looking at one of their biggest problem is they are looking at churn prediction and prevention. So mm. so they have an algorithms that are looking at uh, that are looking at uh, that are looking into how a user is uh, you know going through their journey and once the usage drops they will flag them and that you know say email automation sequence will will get triggered and this person will get will they will try to reactivate them. Mm. This is successful to a degree because it's a very linear situation. What we can do if we are able to um, if we are able to um, integrate other uh, sort of touch points such as you know for for the additional to the mobile app if we are able to add in website and we can specifically tag things around pricing and, and terms and conditions mm. and, and policies around the website if we can add that as an attribute to to their profile uh, and this gets factored into that calculation this algorithm will be able to spot this person a lot faster mm. and that might be that might be absolutely crucial to to saving them around or turning them around and improving your uh, your retention rate. So th this this is going to be very, the use cases are going to be very varied by business mm. by business. But this is one one example, like pretty specific. Yeah. And okay. Well, I want to have a look at these personas, and I'm fascinated by this. Before we before we get there, actually, I mean that sort of churn prediction case study, and I, we're going to talk about your case studies as well in mm. a minute. Um, and you're not really doing anything different. You're not really sort oh, of no. reinventing the wheel. No. You're just creating a good process, aren't yeah. you? Look, um, there is three components of kind of where we are seeing ourselves, what we are sort of improving. And we actually are not absolutely, we are not innovative company in a sense that we are doing something that hasn't been done or actually uh, it hasn't been done before. It just has been promised before, but it right. hasn't been done. So one of, the, one of the things where we see ourselves uh, not necessarily disrupting, I'm not big of a fan of, of that word, but more of an improving of performance of would be, um, would be a CRM. So CRM is a mm. 20, 25 years old concept, which is which has been uh, designed typically around structuring transactional data at B two B companies. At best, it's a note for salespeople, and it's not really it's not really uh, designed in a in a mindset where your customer had has you know online offline touch points can come in, walk into the store, mm. walk through a mall, uh, contact your customer care on social, on phone, and on email. Uh, you know, it's just that at a point in time when this was being designed, this wasn't really the case, so it's not designed for it. So this integration, this connectivity in CRM is an issue so that's what we're solving for and we are enabling lot finer segmentation activation of these people based on individual triggers on the back end again something that's that is absolutely being done mm. but you are just feeding the end touch points in, with a lot lot better finer uh, in more intelligent data mm. that that's all it is so that's that sort of goes back to my point of we us saying that we are in, you know vaguely in a data availability business because we mm. just Availability is the key word, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Because totally. until now, it's been siloed everywhere. Yeah. I mean, data warehousing is mm. a thing, right? You know, people store data mm. rather than put it out there. And, and CRM systems, until now, have very much been about collecting information just in case. You know, mm -hmm. I'm going to collect all this inf survey information about you, Pavel, just in case I might need to come back to it. You know, we asked you 100 questions. In six months' time, somebody might come back again. Oh, I might be able to use that question, that answer. It's not sort of regularly being used or active or out there. Yeah. It's stored and locked away in many cases yeah. in organizations. Yeah. So that's the challenge. Okay, so we'll, I want to have a look at these personas because I come from the world of marketing and personas is not new, right? I mean... Back in the day when they said, you know, draw a picture of, they used to call these like pen profiles, right? You yeah. know, in the advertising world is where draw a picture of your customer and you actually physically draw a picture. And, you know, it was this person and she was like 27 years old mm -hmm. and she was a professional who worked yeah. in the city and all yeah. that. So where you get into personas here, um, I think it's around about that solution about slide six or just after um, you talk a little bit about personas and Maybe, yeah, this customer personas. So how does it now different in the data world? How do you then create right. these? So this is one thing that we are, I suppose, trying to just highlight for our customers because we've been through this, uh, building this application. So we know what the customer that's sort of newer to the space don't know, right? The the 
it's not as much as a person as in the traditional sense as an actual person so mm. we, or actors in the market so when you're looking at someone who has a model such as you know grab or uber you're looking at a very different expression of that customer so when we talk when we call the software customer data platform it's about uh, that that sort of pro probably more precise definition should be something around non known person to a to a business mm. rather than rather than a customer it doesn't need to be an active customer but when you look at when you look at marketplace like that you have at least these three different actors. So you have you have with Grab, you will have your drivers, you will have your users uh, as a customers, you mm. will have your vendors at the very very least, and their definition will be very different in terms of behavior. So they might do completely different things, and number one, they will do them on different touch points. So those apps can be structured completely differently. Some might have an offline touch points, and this is producing data. So you have to be able to organize this information, you know, for every department mm. that that is going to use it, it's going to work with it in a different way, in almost like in a parallel fashion. So this is something we are kind of highlighting to the customers that they might not even be realizing it. Because if you talk to someone from a marketing function in a business, they are typically serving one product in a big business, right. and they're not really seeing the, the even the bigger picture of their business in that sense. Yeah, so this must be an increasing problem as well, because yeah. now companies aren't just serving one customer. Now, companies are more and more like platforms. Mm. You talk about Ubers and so on. That's they it, have different it, actors now, yeah, right? Yeah, it is absolutely a problem, but I think the biggest, the bigger problem in that uh, that sort of looming over this whole situation is if you, if you look at who owns technology in businesses today. And the the, it, the problem is that marketers own a lot more technology mm. than IT. And it's it's I think the sort of the tipping point was a year and a half ago when there was some survey published that uh, an average marketer in an enterprise now has a bigger disposable uh, budget for technology than an IT department. Mm. Obviously, leaving us out inf infrastructure heavy things like telco, but you know, mm. you know, more like consumer-based companies. Uh, and that's that's an absolutely that's absolutely defining for this whole situation because marketers and I don't mean you know to be to be uh, to be scolding or, or uh, at all at all uh, sound rude but marketers are not technical people they yeah. are not data people they are communications creative storytellers and this is not a sort of native uh, mindset that they have mm. and they don't know the last thing about data management and all of a sudden average department in in large enterprise uses you know uses 60 to 90 different marketing tools whether that's you know from your web analytics to link shortener to, to anything else to store their documents and this is this is all producing data and obviously that's not gonna that's not gonna slow down if you look at yeah. if you look at um, kind of a next few years what it's gonna look like look at the whole uh, voice ecosystem um, so your Alexas your your mm. your Google tools uh, that are voice empowered so this is, this brings another layer of, of complexity you know so mm. other than the whole IOT so so this is the my point is that we're not finished this is not slowing down so no absolutely it's gonna get yeah. more complex well if you if you go back I mean like I sort of like alluded to, I'm from the marketing world, is that, you know, a marketer in the old days would hire an external consultant to come in and tell them what the data meant. They mm -hmm. would come in and they would be like an analyst or internal business analyst, for example, and they would crunch numbers and tell them. Right now, what seems to be happening is now marketers have the tools at their fingertips for mm -hmm. all this data, um, even your own tools, for example. And they have to understand it because to get somebody now to come in and sit with them and consult them and go through like strategy with them, it takes time. They have to act straight away. You know, they, they can't be in this sort of like very convoluted feedback loop. They've got to be making decisions straight away. Mm -hmm. And this is the challenge, right? As you say, now it's the marketers driving the organization because at the end of the day, that's all it is. It's yeah. just marketing, right? I mean, if you look at how organizations are structured now, it's marketers and data yeah. and everybody else yeah. is supporting them, right? That is the modern organization. You know, there's nobody really else now in that whole setup apart from a few strategy people, but that's how they're organized. So hence, we're here talking about the solution. Well, let, let's have a look at some of the case studies. I mean, you've got a whole bunch of case studies in your pitch deck here. Hmm? Um, maybe we can do slide 18. This is the one that I wanted to pick out. Uh, we can sort of jump forward to 18. Um, you've got a few social media case studies, but there's this, um, sorry, yeah, it's 17, 18, yeah, that's right, 17. So social media data capture example. This is quite technical, because I wanted to go a little bit technical. Right. Put some numbers into it and understand how it works. What is actually happening here? And bear in mind that some people might just be listening to this, so yeah. can you sort of explain yeah, totally. how this works? 
Could we actually go with the previous one? I think the website will be a little bit, a uh, little bit, uh, sort of one grade complexity yep. lower than the than the social. We've got so, to sixteen. Yeah. Th- thank go. you yeah. so much. So yeah, so look, this is an example of what an architecture of our one of our deployments looks like on a on a on a website, right? So the point is, uh, what you're trying to do is you're trying to identify people who you are in your customer database, and whether this is POS or CRM, absolutely don't care, and people who are coming to, to your to your website, what are they what they are doing there, right? So there the the first challenge in that case is the identity resolution. So you're looking you're looking at matching their login information mm. or whenever they uh, sign in uh, sign into an app, they are uh, submitting a form or you know subscribing to a newsletter. All of this can be can be tracked and if you are attaching some sort of identity uh, identification uh, token on that that can get that gets afterwards collected uh, into into Mero, uh, into our data layer. Uh, there's an automated process of algorithms that we've developed that stitches the person's profile together. So mm. what you see in here in this case is that the little three uh, green boxes are basically looking at uh, data being collected through Google Analytics, uh, through Snowplow. So Snowplow is a technology which is an open source alternative to suppose, web analytics, which allows you to collect raw data. Um, and also Sitecore, so a traditional company, CMS. Mm. And we are sort of sending the device ID that we are assigning to uh, any device on the site to every single one of them. Then we sort of collect it, uh, stitch this all together. Again, that's happens automatically with uh, sort of data science team that work, works this out. Mm. Um, and when we, whenever we hit a new device that gets sort of created a profile and you basically create a persona and you are collecting whatever information that is event-based, so person, you know, clicked on this side, uh, came from uh, came from uh, this source, is coming from either organic or, or an advertisement source. So whatever the sort of the details are important for further decisioning on the person, uh, we'll take that identifier, so the PII information, and obviously PII is a critical part of this whole equation. Mm. If especially in, in you know in the in the in the time we live in right now, and that gets verified against the the, the identity will get validated against uh, clients uh, customer database so CRM or POS, and if we get back information that this is a, this is an actual customer, well that will update it accordingly, and we can start sort of allowing the marketer sitting on the on the back end of that of so our application has and sort of a second layer which is more of a business user interface where they can start segmenting these people a lot lot finer. Mm. So if you Imagine this as a one input. Uh, what you are basically, how, the way you can use this is, uh, we have a customer who, um, who's who's going to be using this in a way where they are uh, identifying high value. So imagine banking. You have you have high value products on the website where 99% of their customers are debit card standard account mm-hmm. uh, customers. So we will be tagging up and collecting events around uh, individuals who we know who we've already identified if they are coming to sites which are credit card oriented, which are uh, which are mortgage oriented, and that's something that you can then act on. Mm-hmm. Now, now that's the act on. That's a really, really important part here. So, what you've described before, and I, I really like that, is that you know everyone's kind of trying to build a marketing data lake or data warehouse, and they are trying to integrate everything for the sake of integration because that's what's been what sort of sort of the trend that they are seeing in the media. What's missing is activation. So, at best, you build dashboards, you build you build visualizations, and you build reports off of all of this data, mm. and that's a great first step. But we really are moving into into time and an era where you need to act on this information that you've collected, and the pressure on ROI on all of these marketing tools is going to be with the increasing investments ever bigger than bigger than ever before. So this is quite quite interesting. Mm-hmm. So you know when we have when we have collected that list of people who are interested in clearly in a you know mortgage or, or website or, or um, sorry credit cards, the, we can very simply check it back into the CRM where salespeople is going to get alerted that this is probably a hot lead, or we can pass it into call center or even even email it as a PDF to to your to your sales manager and they can they can call this person because they actually know them. Right. And and it's you're going from our you know landing page for credit cards was was visited one hundred times you know, happy days to here's Joe and Joe was on this on the side and he's also your customer and right. he, he didn't come from advertising he came organically so it's probably low higher priority than someone else who came from uh, an advertising right so. right gotcha so let's sort of feed that back to that starting point which was the different paradigms about marketing channel led customer led so in the channel led that data is being fed back to the web team. And the web team is sitting there going, oh, wow, look, our landing page, we've got a thousand hits for this product or this promotional this campaign, right? And that's what they then report back to their boss and say, look, we've been successful. Thank you very much. Give us another assignment. Mm-hmm. That's sort of how it's been, right? But 
what's happening now is you're getting this information, you know, Pavel's landed on this page. We know it's Pavel because we've matched it up. Yep. And also we he's a high net worth individual. He's looking at life products or mortgage mm -hmm. products or whatever. That then gets fed automatically to uh, a, a human being maybe, even like a, a sales yep. team. Um, and then they can action that. So they're getting really high quality leads yep. where, you know, okay, here are people that are coming through mm -hmm. that we know this profile, this intent right here, right yep. now. And the, the timing's really important here, isn't it? Because if that was done in the old school world, mm -hmm. somebody would have to sit on that, make a decision. Two weeks later, we're still making a decision. But yeah. you might not be interested in products by them. Absolutely. But the, I guess the, the bigger pain point there is that it's not scalable. So people cannot be making individual uh, decisions about customers. Of course, marketers are working one too many, right? Mm. So this needs to be sort of machine uh, machine produced. And you need to have an environment and interface where you can build these rules, exactly what you just described, through a very, very simple interface where you put this in action. So give you, I'll give you another example So uh, where this is perfectly applicable. So I have bought a new laptop. I've just switched from from newer version of that to something else. I'm not gonna name names since they are not in the room. It's not, it would not be would it be Windows? Would, would not be fair. Could could be. Oh wow, um, it's gone could, the other way. This is interesting. All right. Um, and so I've you know what I've done is what I would normally do. I'll look up uh, the landing their their sort of e-store on uh, on my mobile. I go to the website and mm. I'll eventually go into I think um, one of the stores in here in Singapore and I, I bought it and, and I go away with it. And I I get home and open Facebook and what do you think I see? remarketing ad for that same product, right? Well, and I keep seeing it four weeks later. Do you want to buy another and one? I, and I'm, yeah, exactly, and I'm, and I'm taking screenshots of it and I'm actually going to use it in presentations because this is super funny, yeah. right? And the point is, this is just, there's two things that, that this is causing as a problem. Number one, I know it's a sort of, we are talking about sense, so this is this is money that's that's negligible to most businesses, Yeah. Uh, but you are showing me ads that are completely having no effect because I've just bought. I've just bought something, right? Yeah. So, so you're wasting budget. Number one, number two, you're actually annoying me, yeah. and that's the worst yeah, thing, that, that's which, more is, which is hard to which yeah, is hard valuable. to measure. Yeah. So, you know, things like when you look at combining these signals coming in from what person is doing on the website, how are they interacting on a customer care, and what are they doing in actual product, combining it with actions such as when you say, uh, look, if uh, you know, I want to run an email campaign, and typical logic is, okay, I'll pick my cohort of customers. I'm going to say customers who recently purchased and live in Singapore, and I'm mm. going to send them an email. And mm. that's what market today can absolutely do, right? And they typically do it within the environment of doing that segmentation within that tool where they are executing it, being MailChimp, Silverpop, uh, whatever email tool they are using. So what we are doing is we are saying the segmentation should happen on the CDP before you actually activate the data. Mm. And we can go a lot more finer. So we can say not just, hey, it lives in Singapore and purchase something, but we can also say if that person interacted with the customer care and filled out the, the NPS, the net promoter score, worse than six, then exclude them from this audience. Mm. Or anyone who who you know who is recently had an unhappy experience or or you know someone who just recently purchased if that's part of the cycle, automatically exclude them from all advertising audiences. Mm. And that's that's the whole point. The, the, you would like to do that, but you can't do it because these people are not identified across all of these touch points. Hence mm. the activation becomes becomes hard. Can that whole process be automated? I yeah. know there's bits where they have to touch human beings, like go into a store and so on, and somebody has to maybe pick up the phone, but mm -hmm. the, the actual, you know, the feeding of the pipes, yeah, input output, is that all automated? That's, that's really important in, yeah. in, in process, isn't yeah, it? That's where the bottlenecks occur. Yeah. So that, so what we are basically saying is that this whole process, obviously the, the consumption and the activation of data that needs to be automated. Yeah. And we do that. That's, what that, that's, that's sorted. What's, uh, where sort of the business user, the human comes into that is, uh, building out these business rules and and creating mm. these sort of logical chains. You know, if if you're familiar with uh, if this then that. Absolutely, so like yeah. you know, I do A B C. I don't do D. E happens. So so someone needs to come in and and define these rules yeah, that yeah. we sort of allow a business user to do that. Um, another kind of a big thing we are solving. And I forgot I have this anecdote from a friend of mine who is a, a product marketer at a at a large bank uh, in Hong Kong. And when he wants to have a as a part of his campaign, he wants to send out an email. What he has to do is to process where he goes to his IT, submits a request to get a basically simple extract from their database, which says, uh, show me my customers who live in Hong Kong and maybe Taiwan and I don't know where else. And this process takes six weeks. Gee. And as a human, like, as at least four different people. Do they have to type it out? Is that well, why, is that, that, why that, it that, takes that will be, that will be faster. Will you... No, it's just scheduled throughout the 
traditional like IT well. workflow, right? People have to check it, and that that itself creates, a, especially in a you know era of a GDPR and and that yeah, sort yeah, of privacy yeah. law, that creates so many complexities that, I, that their lawyer law departments would be so interested in. Because if you are doing if you run that segment and you export it, and if, if there's a sort of a lag between mm. between you sending it and you kind of getting access to it three four weeks, the people who are in that segment could have theoretically unsubscribed from yeah. your database. And if you are if you are targeting them, then you're potentially liable and are creating yeah, a problem could for have the died as well at that sort yeah. of time. That, you know, and, that's uh, the problem. <laughs> the, the market moves on, right? Totally, absolutely. Yeah, so. And the point is, you know, it's it's it, your IT people are smarter than yeah. to do that kind of job. So so that's again the data availability. So we are giving a market a very simple interface where can, where they can design this request um, through a visual interface in less than thirty seconds, and that's. I find it fa fascinating. I, I know you've talked about the customer view, and I know you've got a slide as well. I'm going to jump into that in a minute. But before we talk about that, you, you mentioned a really interesting point, Pavel, is that you know marketers and IT people are smarter than this, right? And it's just that the organization gets in the way. And that's, that's the challenge, isn't it? It's trying to get the organization out of the way and let people do what they're really good at. Of course, organizations have to have checks and balances and so on, yep. and that has to happen. But it shouldn't stop people doing their job and doing what they do well. And if you were a good marketer, if you were like talented and one of your one of the best, you know, like digital marketers or internet marketers or however you want to call it now, a marketer, right? In your space, and you were working in a bank or you were working in any large corporate, an airline or you know any FMCG company, for example. You want to do projects that make a difference, and you want—you know—you could go anywhere in the world. You could walk into any job because you've got the skills, right? So when they're faced with that process of uh, six weeks, it's like, you know, why am I doing this? Like, exactly. you know, I'm—I can go and get a, 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 you know, similar kind of pay over here, and I can make a difference, yeah. right? And it's a talent thing now, you know, and uh, and not an HR function, but it's about retaining talent because they want to work on great projects, the 10x projects, mm -hmm. right? And when you put all these kind of like silos, it demotivates people. You know, I don't want to now go back and ask for email data because I know I have to go through this horrible six-week cycle. Well, I, I agree. People people want to make a difference. Whatever they do, they want to make a difference, and that's really important. And they don't want to be running SQL queries into a database getting a list of emails. No. no one wants to do that in IT. Sorry. Those days are gone. All right, well, let's jump into the, the customer view because you sort of mentioned it with your computer example, which mm -hmm. I think is interesting. We've got to like slide 20. Um yeah, this one here, single right. view of the customer. Um, so if we can kind of actually look at what comes out the other end. And I think, is it the slide above? Is actually the, just, just a data landscape. Okay, so single view of the customer. Mm -hmm. um, tell us a little bit about what actually this looks like when you build a profile, what kind of information you collect. And what I'm really fascinated by is that, how does that change behavior? So all very well, things get more efficient people are faster does it change the way that marketers and organizations behave when they get structured a little bit differently yeah. so Absolutely. tell us a little bit about the customer view as well and then you know how that affects people's behavior right so look data visualization that's not something where we are feeling we are making a lot of difference but this particular function of the platform is very important because uh, this just inspires action nothing nothing really else so obviously if you are looking at it as a marketer or more on one to one that's not going to be useful you're not going to be able to check all you know 10 millions of your customers and do something specific for them right so mm. that's that's where the sort of the business rules and automation come in place but what you need to do uh, is you need to see this and able to be realized to be able to realize the full potential of this so what what we are basically looking at is uh, from every single touch point that the company brings in and typically they are kind of in particularly like this order so you are looking at a website you are looking at mobile app great source of data if it's first party app uh, you're looking at loyalty programs you're looking at some sort of transactional system so POS or CRM uh, you're looking at emails you're looking at uh, text messaging uh, platforms in marketing, this is extremely powerful, even though it seems like, you know, outdated out technology. Text messages really work for, for marketers. So they have one of the highest conversion rates. Mm. And what you want to see is you want to see how you have the visibility of this of this person, um, you know, across across these these channels, right? So what we are looking at is a very simple menu, simple card of a person with all of these attributes that we have designed and are available. Now, these attributes are, the or variables are 
as sort of customized for every single uh, organization based on their particular needs and use cases. So this is really important. This is where where this is not one size fits all solution. Mm. Absolutely, there is a, there is the amount of, of configuration that needs to happen, but it's typically through experience and conversation with a client. We have a basic package that we will roll out automatically for everyone. If you if I uh, can sort of bother you guys to switch to uh, slide one after. There's a different view of this, which is which is a timeline of that same same view. So you're actually looking at consolidated events on a timeline, and what you see is a kind of on a monthly or whatever the the, the sort of the roll up uh, mm. come up comes up to um, is you're looking at look this month this person visited the website eight times, talked to customer care three times, purchased twice. So you know is that is there something we would like to is there some sort of automated action yeah. or sequence we would like to trigger on the basis of that? This uh, is the customer journey, isn't yeah, it? Absolutely. That you're being visualized. Yeah. But you wanna you don't wanna visualize it you want to action on it and mm. really this is where we kind of see people are coming here to get a inspiration and figure out what they could do with the data the, what what's mm. important is the segmentation afterward the, the building the business rules and putting them into action so really you know that's the, it's, it's the data availability and it's the actionability which is which is a big issue like what we have seen i think we've lived through an era of business intelligence and and that's you know something every single marketer wants to have a nice dashboard and that's 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 cool you need to have a visibility that's a, that's a part of the journey but it doesn't stop there it, it has to go to action that's mm. that's the important piece on and the data so what, what do people do then once they have these dashboards and they have the actionability do they make different kind of decisions like they would have done five years ago with just a good bi dashboard yeah. Uh, so look, it's it's about how do you how do you do you do activation today? So if you are if let's say um, email campaigns are one of the one of the part of the function, uh, you are doing it on what I described before. You might be saying, uh, look, I, I want to reach out to my audience in Singapore and and I want to choose mail and a sort of demographic segmentation mm -hmm. in the way you would. But you right now because you are have you have an access to what this person does on on mobile app and what they do whether they open email. So you can say, you know, give me an audience that's that might be. 10,000 people in the beginning, but then I want to apply a couple of extra rules where I say, uh, I want to, you know, I don't want to exclude people, I want to exclude people who never open my email. So mm -hmm. I'm not sending it to someone who is never opening anything else. I want to, um, I want to uh, target people specifically who are only uh, who are only um, uh, touching feature A, B, but not C inside mm. of the mobile app, right? And that's that's a lot more informed uh, segmentation and focus you are doing. And again, getting the data where it's needed uh, that that's that's an important thing. Um, a lot of um, kind of oftentimes what we see is that. Campaigns, especially in, a, in sort of a marketing departments and campaigns, are run just kind of the way they used to do it. So we do emails because that always worked and it still somehow works, even mm. though those conversion rates are kind of, you know, going where we know what they're going. But when you look at that, um, what we also do is when that little radar chart on, on there, which shows you how interactive a person is on every single one of those touch points, that's really important. Mm. So what you do is we would say, we kind of are changing behavior where we are saying, you are not beginning with, uh, I'm running campaign on Facebook. You're saying, I'm running a campaign and we will show you which is the best place, right. best destination to run it based on where these people are, are active. Mm. If we know that 80% of these people never open email, don't send them email. That's yeah. simple as that. And that, you know, what we are, where uh, in the end of the day, where we can make a difference in a business is we either save money or we make new money. Mm. So we kind of are seeing that we address both of these things. So optimizing marketing budgets, if that was the, the only thing that we did would be good enough, mm. but also, you know, helping you understand your customer better. And uh, that's, that's unfortunately something that's a little bit vague because every single business is going to use that information a little bit differently. Mm. But having the data available in an actionable format that's that's really critical we're seeing now i mean especially here in asia even here in singapore southeast asia there are good examples of companies which are emerging i know you talk about the customer profile and using customer data and so on and and that to be seen as having a direct impact on profitability of the business and we're seeing for example like you know like air asia are stepping up and that you know they're a great case study now where they are just getting all their data together and getting organized. And, you you know, now you have, even here in Singapore, like new entrants like Circles Life in mm -hmm. the telecom space who are doing great things with their marketing. Nothing radically different, but just doing the data so much better and making it much more actionable. And managing to compete with the big guys, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the big boys in, in their incumbent space. So I think what's going to happen is, is in time, through sort of natural selection, those people who, yes, okay, maybe there isn't a, a really strong case for customer you know, data in the sense of, you know, like, okay, customer personas right now, but they believe in it, they understand it, 
they will then rise to the top of their fields and then people will follow and copy and model on them, right? So that will become the norm. So yes, th there is a, a really strong case for, in marketing, but I think what you're doing in terms of building the personas, having that sort of longitudinal view of them, that will become the norm in years to come, right? Yeah, so. absolutely. Like, I mean, if you look at uh, markets like Hong Kong and China, what they are doing with identity, mm. uh, sort of resolution recognition, that's maybe uh, from a consumer business standpoint of view in the rest of the world, a little too far maybe a little extreme but that's absolutely where where this whole thing is going to go and if you know if you if you in 10 years down the line if you're not able to recognize your customer when they walk through the door in your actual retail store mm. then you you probably don't have a place in the in the business anymore that, that this, is, this is tricky so that that identity of, of a person and knowing them on different touch points that you have and you know i guarantee that there's going to be more of those touch points in in future it's going to get only more complicated um that's just that's just going to be vital to the business yeah and we just look at what's coming out of china at the moment like with the retail yeah. stores and how more advanced they are than, you know, if you go to America and see retail in America mm. and compare which retail in America used to be, well, was the vanguard, was the leader in the world. But th that's the future being laid out for us. Let's talk about Mayro in terms of the company and your future as well. Um, how old's the company now? So the company is, uh, is about um, one year old. Mm. Uh, we have, uh, well, we are eight months. Uh, we've, we've launched a product about, uh, officially launched a product in uh, September um, mm. only. But we have a slightly, I suppose, unusual journey because we come from the background of doing data analytics consulting. So we've um, had a, been uh, sort of a selling data analytics projects to uh, companies here for four years now. That was sort of past my social bakers experience mm. here in Asia. And obviously a lot of marketing, a lot of social media still still in that mix. And we've, we're very fortunate that we've um, kind of one of our, um, I suppose, uh, uh, trusted we were trusted by one of our customers who's, mm. a, who's a bank in uh, in the region that uh, kind of uh, talk, came to talk to us uh, about a year and something ago about, you know, the problem of ha not having the visibility over, mm. over you know, s uh, unified view of a customer. And we've kind of realized that this is actually echoing the conversations we've been having around the region with so many different people. Mm. And we said, look, this is clearly an opportunity. So we started uh, sketching out solution and that uh, that sort of project with with one customer turned into, into a product journey, which was a little bit unexpected, but uh, it's it's very very interesting. Mm. So we are right now uh, we are based in Singapore. Uh, we are approximately twenty people hiring a couple of different uh, positions right now. And twenty uh, people here in Singapore. Uh, twenty people across the region. So we have mm. uh, we have um, the engineering team sits in Czech Republic, mm. in Brno. Um, uh, which is absolutely delightful city if anyone has a chance to go. Uh, this is almost as good as Prague. And we uh, have a sort of more client-facing team and analytics team, uh, mm. delivery team and sales, obviously, uh, here in here in Singapore. Mm. I'm personally based in Sydney right now. So right. I'm kind of looking at a little bit more of a market exploration. Exp exploration well, there's no reason why you can't in these days be across three different time zones, oh. isn't it? I mean, we've seen this now. It's companies like Buffer and how they built themselves, right? It's, it's well, a reality now. We've actually started as a distributor team. So when uh, when I got together with my, with my co-founder here in Singapore, Singapore uh, four years ago I have uh, when we launched the company the second day I moved out of Singapore to maintain mm. the cost and I moved to Bali mm. and we've done we have run a remote business for about uh, two and a half three years and it is possible it is definitely not easy um, but you know it's it's one of the options that you have today and mm. and it's a just kind of generally you know everything has a has a has a upside and downside right so, mm. so you know the cost efficiency might be the upside the sort of the agility and the speed of the movement might be might be a little bit of a downside but you can you can make it work but so. for the right people it works right and that, that's the key for the Absolutely. right people they get yeah. into that they can they actually want to work in yeah. that kind of setup as well yeah and we so. have a I suppose a little bit specific specific culture where kind of we value uh, sort of of responsibility and and uh, sort of a self drive uh, mm. a lot more than 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 hard coded organizations with responsibilities and rules yeah. and we I think we attract people like that as well. Absolutely, I want to ask about your hiring as well because you mentioned that you're hiring what kind of people you're looking for. But before we do that, are you raising funds at the moment? Uh, we have not started yet actively. Mm. Uh, we, we've been lucky that we were sort of uh, revenue. Um, we had we had revenue coming in from basically from the day one. So so we've been uh, we've been 
bootstrapping uh, the company, I suppose that's what you call it. Mm. And we're really optimizing for kind of the control and the speed of movement uh, at still fairly a fairly good rate of growth. But um, we will need uh, we will be going out uh, to raise funds and early this year, probably looking at closing uh, closing uh, something around Q two Q two end of Q two this year. Um, yeah, we'll be probably looking at uh, skipping a couple of the usual uh, entry level rounds just because we already, already well, you have we have that covered. Revenues, uh, right. There's obviously no yeah, point. Yeah, and yeah. We, we really like, I, I guess I personally, I really like the kind of the mm, that that freedom that we have to focus on the product. We uh, are not necessarily accountable mm. to a outside investors. I've kind of have a, obviously stories well, from friends and industry, how this sort of hinders the progress in some cases. So, you know, you obviously, it's, it's a trade-off. Everything is yeah. a trade-off. I mean, so. you're a co-founder. You would spend so much of your time just yeah. out there pitching to investors rather than trying to build exactly. the product and win exactly. clients. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm personally excited by, by building a product and by talking to clients and industry people. And I, I kind of don't really want to be out there and pitching myself and, and uh, taking my well, you don't need underwear to, uh, on the table. <laughs> exactly, you don't need to because you've already got the, the revenues coming in. Yeah. And, and it will be, I guess, Q2 onwards is, is more of a strategic partnership as well. Somebody's not just bringing money, but also something else mm. to the table, right? Like, look, we've, we've obviously talked about it, and, and this is a, this is a part, of a, part of the discussions we keep having, and I think there are really two scenarios. What, what uh, you can, what you can uh, do is you can, you can talk, talk about sort of a smart money, and you can talk about, um, uh, talk about people coming in with, uh, with you know, strategic partnerships and mm. networks and stuff. That's definitely one of the options. For us, I suppose it would be more of an industry partnership. So yeah. It would be a lot so. more interesting in a, in a technical uh, technological companies to be to be working with us in, in terms of investments or the other side might be simply dump money dump money without giving up control right. that might be also an option because we know what we want to do we know how we want to do it and that might be another sort of way uh, the problem with these things is it's not wrong or right they're both viable they yeah. both make sense and it's just you know which one which one is going to be well we have time know. okay so let me ask you about the the hiring aspect, because you've already talked a little bit about your culture, so I want to explore that a little bit, because it's really important for talent, so people who listen to the show, watch this show, and they you know, they listen to Pavel's story and think, well, I want to be on board, I like what you're doing, it really appeals to me, you're building something, and I want to be part of that. Mm. That's what attracts the right people, isn't it? It's not like, okay, so what are the hours, you know? Or yeah. that, that's the wrong question that yeah. somebody's going to ask you. They're interested in, look, what's the vision? I will get a chance to work with you, you know, because you'll be almost a mentor to anybody that joins the company because that will then, you know, they will learn, they'll transfer that information down to them that you've all learned in your past and what you've learned with this business as well. But the culture is a key aspect of it. You're a distributed company across time zones. What kind of mindset do you think somebody needs to have to thrive in Mayro? So they need to be learner and they need to be open-minded. That's the that's the key most most important things that we have. And actually, you know what, hiring has always been easy for us. And I know this is this is a tricky part for a lot of companies. But through our community activities, we have sort of have enough exposure and actually built a nonprofit which is, has a massive reach into. She into, loves data. She loves data right. into yeah. the into the community. We can talk about it for sure as well. Uh, and that's something that kind of gives us, you know, not necessarily just that CSR aspect on a paper, mm. but it really attracts people who are like you who want to take part in that but obviously also kind of need a commercial job but if I when I talk to our analysts that what they are you know they are really they are saying look this is a great opportunity I get to work on interesting stuff but I also get paid for you know coaching and training uh, at workshops which are free for community for for a sort of a greater good cost which is really interesting so that's that's something that's been you know we have that sort of the branding and that network created I think that community building is really really important mm. in this sense and and you know it's, it's always being labeled as giving back I don't necessarily feel like we've taken anything so the giving back part i'm not too sure that's that's a fitting i think it's generally giving like we have been uh, personally i can i can speak for myself i have been very very fortunate uh successful to a large degree and and you know i feel like this is something that i need to share mm. at, at the my entire journey i'm not waiting to be uh, bill gates at 50 and then start giving it all all away like this needs to be happening at any given point in time absolutely so, we yeah. might not make it to 50 that's how it is well, right with this lifestyle probably not. <laughs> who knows but the point is is that you must have a lot of people that approach you you've obviously she loves data you know mm. a lot of people know about this project you know it's fantastic what you're doing um, you're in an interesting space as well, so people are going to be interested in you and your journey. What kind of skills are you looking for from the community? If somebody reached out to you and said, hey, look, I, I want to be part of this, 
Is there particular things that you're looking for? Yeah, so right now we are looking for a couple of people in data analytics and engineering, data engineering space. So, uh, you know, kind of a little bit of a computer science, a little bit of a data databases mm. uh, kind of understanding and the kind of right uh, geeky mindset. Like you get a lot of traditional, you know, CVs that are banking background, uh, seven years at one bank, four different positions, mm. uh, one very particular vertical thing, where when I get a CV, uh, you know, I would actually encourage everyone to read uh, one of our job descriptions on the site when you look at the marketing role that we have opened right now, just for the entertainment value. I think it's it's written a little bit differently than how you're used to seeing your job descriptions. Hell, uh, well, look, I'm kind of taking a, taking a, a little bit of a stab at the startups and we're saying, look, if you were looking for the free beer at the office and it's <laughs> And the uh, ping pong tables, we have none of that. You yeah. know, so so try Facebook, try Google. The slide. Mm, yeah, we don't we don't do that. <laughs> but you know, if you are looking for responsibility and an ability right. to carve your own space and do what you want to do, uh, and grow where you want to grow at a company that's that's sort of you know on the go and and gonna be growing, mm. that's that's really a place where you want to be. Um, and I've kind of always appreciated, I, you know, while formal education is necessarily absolutely at specifically in certain industries and areas, if you mm. want to be a doctor, it's kind of good to go to university. Mm. Uh, what we are doing, you know, there's not really a long history and the educational system isn't really built around this. So we are, uh, we kind of like, I get excited when we when we get CVs where people are linking to their GitHub as an analyst and they are yeah, showing right. us their products and this is amazing. They've done something. This is really amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they might be someone who is in one or two years uh, out of school, maybe they not necessarily may not be great communicator, but they are this sort of they have this this spark that exploration mindset, which is which is what we really like to enable. Mm. So we really like that. Yeah, you, you say some great things there as well. I mean, you know, I'm always curious. We recruit as well. We hire like any startup. Mm. Is I always look for what have they done outside of what their boss and what their mom and dad and what their teacher has told them in their life. You know, if somebody's 25 years old sitting here, they've had plenty of time to do something. What yeah. are their projects that they've done? What have they built? GitHub, show me your folder. You know, what is, have they built an Instagram shop, for example? Or did they, you know, do they have electronic dance music album out there? Or do they get involved in a project like She Loves Data, for example? You know, show me those things because that shows us as hirers that, they don't need to be told to do things. Yeah. They can say to you, hey, Pavel, look, you know, I've been looking at this challenge that we have in the business and I think this, you know, like I've had all these ideas mm -hmm. and I've done the research and, you know, I've gone away and you didn't need to tell me to do this. It's like, this is the extra stuff that I'm bringing to the table. And that's like how we build a business together, right? Yeah. I would say one of the, one of the, um, uh, sort of things that is hard to come by in Singapore, especially, are definitely salespeople, and I think yeah. that's across the startups. And I, I've been listening to you to your to your show for quite a while, so yeah. I kind of laugh <laughs> when, when this comes up because that's every time everyone everyone wants a hunter, and you know, uh, we, there is, this is a this is a rare skill in a in a society like like mm. Singapore. So that's a, that's a trickier uh, to to get by. So, but yeah, that's definitely something we would be interested in. Otherwise, uh, yeah, a couple of a uh, couple of uh, analytical data engineering roles. I'm looking for more junior. Full, full stack marketer, which again, it's a, it's a bit of a bit of a daring, challenging uh, right. description. Like one thing, uh, one thing, a three sixty, someone who knows a little bit of everything, kind of well, but not really being a specialist in any one thing. So, yeah, that's a, that's a that's a tricky piece. Yeah, but you know, it's a challenge. We like a challenge here, oh, yeah. right? I think the thing is, is, look, if you've listened to Pavel's story and you've got you know an understanding of Mayro and how they work and what they're trying to do, just reach out. You know, I think the thing is not to wait for, look, you need this exact job role and this is my exact background. It's more sort of a bit of this, isn't it? How does it sort of fit in here? And that conversation that you're going to have together, you know, that's the right person or not. At least this is worth taking forward. So I don't think anybody listening should say, okay, look, you know, maybe, you know, my background is uh, the sales guy. Maybe I haven't been selling these kind of solutions, but I love what you're doing and I want to reach out to you and talk to you and find out a bit more about whether or not I fit in there. That's really the starting point is it, of that. Mm. So I would ask you as well, what is the best way for people to do that? How do you like people to contact you? What's your preferred uh, platform? Look, I think if you look at look up my name, um, anything has come on from LinkedIn to Instagram to to uh, our website. So easily through mero.io actually. Um, and my email will be pavel at mero.io. Or if you want to find me on Instagram, I'm targeting the millennials in in. In, a, in, a, in this space, uh, uh, my tag is uh, extra underscore bagus. So you can tell I've been in Indonesia Bali. for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> there you go. So, yeah, Props. That, that's, it, that's it. Or LinkedIn is obviously easy to do as well. And I'm kind of visible on all of these platforms. Awesome. We'll put all the details on the show notes. Pavel Boloski, it's been a real pleasure. A lot of fun speaking, you know, speaking about your journey and Mero and what you're doing. And she loves data as well. Check those out. We'll put all those links in there so people can check you out. Um, 
if you're interested, reach out potential partnerships long-term, people who are working in this space, people who maybe want to join the team, or people who just, some, you know, something you said triggered something in them yeah. that they feel they need to contact you. Maybe at this stage, we don't know what that connection is, but it's a journey, isn't it? And you don't know where that goes in the grand scheme of things. These people can be useful long-term. So reach out and make contact. Tell Pavel that you watched the story and you're inspired to reach out to him. So thank you so much for coming today. It's been a real inspiration. Thanks for having me. Thank you for sharing your journey. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show.